Amen. Well, I want to invite you this morning, church, to turn with me in the Word of God to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. To the book of Revelations, chapter 3. And I don't know about y'all, but that's an awesome song that because of our God and how great He is, that as we go through life and we go through the blessings of life and the adversities of life and through the mountaintop and the valley top experience, that if Jesus is in your heart, you don't have to be afraid. Amen? And to sing that is one thing, but to be able to say today that that is true in my life, that as I watch the news, as I see the uncertainty up to tomorrow, I'm not afraid anymore. Because I know Jesus lives in my heart. And because he lives, I know I can face tomorrow. Amen. I'm going to tell you what. That's a blessing money can't buy. That's something the world can't give you. That only comes from not hearing about Jesus but knowing him. Living in a relationship where every day you depend on him, you rely on him, and you've learned that he's worthy to trust. Because why? He's faithful. And it may not look like it today that God is faithful, but I'm here to tell you that he's not up there wondering, oh, what we going to do? Oh, the world's in chaos. Oh, the stock market's fixing to fall. God is not worried about inflation, my friend. He's up there just watching what he's already got planned unfold exactly the way he's going to let it come to the end that he's already ordained. And I don't know about y'all, I thank God that one day he humbled me enough to realize I can't make it on my own. I need a Savior. I need a God. And I fell on my knees and I repented of my sins. He came into my life. And I don't know about y'all, life ain't perfect, but it's been pretty good since that day I got saved. How about you? Amen? So I don't know about y'all. I'm here to praise God this morning, and I hope you come to praise him with me. And I want to talk to us about something this morning. I want to talk to us about being stuck. In the middle. How many of you have ever been stuck? Bogged down. Well, this is a sermon that God gave me a while back. I've been wanting to preach, and he finally has given me freedom to preach it. It comes from one of the letters to the seven churches. I'm not going to really hit on the letter in its fullness. I want to mainly look at the spiritual condition that Jesus seen in this church, the church of Laodicea. Now, the church of Laodicea is by many people believed to be the church as a whole, the body of Christ from the day of his exception when the letters were given to John on the island of Patmos, many believe, I personally do also, that it is a succession of the spiritual condition of the churches from the time of God giving these seven letters personally to John to write that shows us seven different spiritual conditions the church can be in that we as personal believers can find ourselves in. But it also is revealing that through the passage of time, church history, the church and its condition and what it will be like in the last days, many theologians believe, is described by the last letter, the church of Laodicea. If you look with me here, we're going to read just a few verses of it. We won't read it all. However, we will probably look at it all. But God speaking himself, Jesus speaking he says, if you look with me and join me this morning, in Revelations chapter 3, I'll find the, past, the verse, start off there. Here it is, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the amen, the faithful, 
and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That's where I want to preach from this morning. But as you look at it and you see the end of it, Jesus says in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. And we looked at that last week. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Five out of the seven churches were commanded by Jesus to repent. Which tells me in my life, there's probably a lot of times where I need to repent. It tells me that the condition of the church in many times is in a condition where it needs to repent. Five out of the churches. There's only two things that he said to every church. The last thing he says in this letter is one of the things he said to every church. If you look with me at verse 22, he said, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now that tells me that God is speaking to every true church. But it also tells me that not everybody sitting in the church has an ear to hear what God has to say. But to he who does have an ear, let him hear, not just with his ears, but with his heart, what the Spirit of God has to say to the churches. Now, there's only one other thing that he says to every church. He says, if you look with me, the first thing he tells each church after he introduces himself in seven different ways, the Lord Jesus in his glorified, ascended glory, he says in verse 15, I know your works. In this church, he says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot, and I could wish that you were cold or hot. Every single church, the Lord Jesus looked at that church and he said, I know your deeds. I know your works. As a matter of fact, Jesus knows our works and our deeds better than we know them ourselves. He doesn't only know what we've already done, what we're doing. He knows what we're going to do and why we do it. So it's important that we listen to his counsel. Now, the danger of this church was they thought they already knew their spiritual condition. And they judged themselves. If you look, they said, because Jesus says, because you say in verse 17, this is what they said about themselves. We're rich. We've become wealthy. And we have need of nothing. And Jesus said, you do not even know, though, that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And look at what he says. I counsel you. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but it gives me great hope that the Lord desires to counsel us. He desires to speak to us, to reveal to us the spiritual condition of his church, not our church. To speak into our lives, to show us so that we can repent if there's anything that doesn't belong there. Now, the first thing I want you to think about is there's nothing that has more potential and more ability to bring blessings into the life of mankind in the church. The church has more potential to bless mankind than any other thing on the face of the earth, organization. You think the stock market can bless you? Friends, the stock market ain't got nothing compared to what the church can do. You think the White House is important? As important as the White House is, it has nothing in comparison to the impact and the influence that could be made in America on how blessed we are and how prosperous we are than the church house. The church is the heart of God. It's the people of God. 
It's where he's put all of his effort to work out his redemptive plan to save men, to change men, to redeem and restore us. He does it through his church. And friends, Jesus is the one who mentioned the church before anybody else. The first time the church was mentioned is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he asked men, who do people say I am? And the most important thing about this church and every church is what we believe about Jesus Christ. Because if you get that wrong, everything else we do is wrong. And he asked, and they said, well, some people say this and some people say that. And Jesus looked at him and said, but what do you say? And old Peter hit a home run for once. He says, well, we say that you are the Christ, the Savior, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Peter said, blessed are you, Peter, Simon Borjona, for flesh and blood didn't show you that. What showed him that? The Spirit of God, just like God wants to show us things this morning. And he said, upon that truth, I'm going to build my church. And you know what he said? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see, even hell is not going to prevail against God's church, he says. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, the Bible says that the, Paul says, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, talking to the elders, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. God loves the church. He loves the church. He loves everybody. But there's a special love, there's a special connection, there's a special relationship to Jesus and his church. As a matter of fact, he compares the love of Jesus and his church, the body of Christ, to the love of a man and a woman who are married together. And I don't know about you, but when you look around us, there's no greater relationship, there's no greater evidence of a true bond of love than when God takes a man and a woman and he makes them one flesh. And he makes them lifelong partners, committed to one another, faithful to one another, to love one another, to cherish one another, to do what's best for one another. That's what he says about the church. Listen to this. He says right here in Ephesians, husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You see, that's how he purchased the church. He redeemed the church, Paul said in that verse I just read to you, with his own blood. So the church is precious to him. He's on the church's side. He's for the church. He says the church is going to be blessed. My church is not going to be prevailed against. Even hell's not going to be able to defeat it. He says, yes, my church. And listen to what he says. No one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes it and cherishes it just as the Lord does his church. So the Lord is blessing his church. He's nourishing it. He's cherishing it. It says, for we as members of his body are his flesh and bones. And God loves us. He's for us. And friends, he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. So I look at the church today and I look at the condition of the church in America. And I read and I study. I don't know about y'all, but I am interested in what God is doing in his church, not only in America, but the world, not only in our generation, but through history. And I'm telling you today that the church as a whole, the majority of what represents the body of Christ is not living victorious lives of overcoming. We are losing. And I say, where's God in this? Where's Jesus at? Why is the church not winning anymore. 
What has happened to us? Could it be that maybe we've settled for less? Because this is what I believe. Nothing else but the church has the potential to do what God gave us. You see, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has more God-given potential and ability to bless and do good things for mankind than any other group on the planet. Would you believe that? Because if you don't, you don't believe the Bible. But with all of our God-given potential, we've wasted our potential and misused our ability more than any other organization or group of people on the earth. We're going to find out one day what all God could have done if we'd have just believed in what all he gave us for his glory to do his mission and purpose. Friends, listen, I believe without a doubt that I see a manifestation of this diagnosis in more Christians today than probably ever in the history of the church, especially in ours. You see, Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for the church. He's for the church. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke, I chasten. We looked at that last week. Therefore, be zealous and repent. We're not going to see churches flourish. We're not going to see churches see God's blessing when there's things in their life that shouldn't be there. And there's one that's right before our face that we never, ever even get convicted about or take into account. You see, Jesus said, I don't want you cold. He said, I'd rather you be cold or I'd rather you be hot. But if you're lukewarm, stuck in the middle, you make me sick. As a matter of fact, when I look at a church that's full of people who are comfortably complacent and just in the middle, I throw up. And that's what Jesus said. I didn't say it. And there's ever been a group of people today that represent the church of God that's stuck in the middle. It's us. Myself included. You see, he says right here, he says, you think you're rich and have become wealthy to the point you're in need of nothing. If you don't believe that's you, how long has it been since you fell on your face and begged God? Jesus, ain't nobody else can do this but you. My money, my riches, my wealth, everything my cushy life in America has made possible my retirement, my insurance plan can't fix this, Jesus. Lord, would you do a miracle in my life? Would you supernaturally move? Because just as much as it takes a miracle sometimes to heal somebody of a fatal disease, just like sometimes it takes a miracle to change a, broad, a, a heart full of bitterness and unforgiveness and has went wayward and is two people can't even talk no more. To forgive, the greatest miracle it takes of all is God to get somebody to be saved, to be changed. And friends, today what people need to see is not a lukewarm, comfortable church sitting in the middle. It'd be better if people seen a cold heart. You see, God says, I can help a cold heart. A cold heart, a cold Christian, a Christian that's so far from God, he knows he ain't nowhere right with God. There's hope for me to help him. He knows what it's like to be without me. He realizes his spiritual condition is dim and dark and cold, separated from me. So I can help a cold Christian or a cold church. 
But I'd rather you be hot. Because a hot church is what I died on the cross to make you to have a hot heart, a hungry heart, a heart that loves me, that's sold out to me, that I'm the most important thing in that heart's life. It beats for me. That's the heart that I bless. That's the heart of the church that I died for, that I purchased with my own blood, that I put the life of my spirit in. It's so he can never, ever be complacent and comfortable in religion. But we are comfortably stuck in the middle and have no desire to move. No desire to do anything that takes effort, that takes sacrifice, that takes denying ourselves, taking up a cross to follow our Lord. We don't want nothing to do with it. But we want blessings. We want God to bless our church. Friends, listen. They thought they were rich and had become wealthy. They were so confused spiritually that they thought they was in need of nothing. There's never been a day in your life when you was in need of nothing from Jesus. And there never will be a day in your life when you're in need of everything from Jesus. And friends, listen. The riches they were looking at was the riches that came from being a Laodicean. And today, many too many of us in the church today are content with the riches that come from being an American. The richest, fattest, materialistic, blessed church in the history of the church is us. You see, Laodicea means rule of the people. And Laodicea was a commercial and administrative center that was the richest city in its district. And out of all the seven churches, it was the most wealthiest place to live. As a matter of fact, it was so wealthy that there was an earthquake in A.D. 60, which was probably about 30 years before this book was written and this letter was given, that caused great havoc to the city. And they were so self-sufficient that when they suffered this earthquake and this catastrophic destruction, that they rejected help from Rome because they didn't want to be what? Rome. They didn't want to give Rome allegiance. They were independent. And today, many of us sometimes, I believe, are so self-sufficient in doing church the way we like and getting to do it the way we want that as long as we got enough to make us think we're rich and wealthy, we're happy. Most churches today, if they got enough people, to give enough money to let you do everything the way you've always done, you're totally satisfied. Doesn't have to do anything with holiness, life change, delivered people from drugs and alcohol, lost souls being truly saved, redeemed, and changed by the glory and grace of God. No, but as long as we got people coming, they like the preacher. As long as everyone's comfortable, comfortable, complacent, and happy, man, we are rich. We're wealthy. And that's how a lot of churches think. They look more at a budget. They look more at the people. They look more at what other churches are doing and what other people are saying is a blessed church instead of what Jesus says is a blessed church. And may I tell you, that's the mistake they made. 
Because here they were, they think they're rich and have become wealthy and are needing nothing. And look at Jesus' diagnosis. <laughs> if Jesus was truly to diagnose each one of us, I think we'd all be so shocked we'd finally have an altar call that we could say it was God. We'd be up here begging God to help me if you've seen yourself the way he sees you. And I'm not saying that's in every case, but in a lot of cases, we ain't what we think we are. You see, Jesus is the only one who can rightly diagnose us. And this is what Jesus says. And do you not know? They didn't even know that in the eyes of their Lord, he said, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You know what he told him? He said, I counsel you, though. He still wanted to help them. He always wants to help us. He's always for us. So he says, I'm counseling you. I'm giving you advice to buy from me. What's that mean? To get the things that only can come from Jesus. Things we can't manufacture. Things we can't accomplish on our own. We get enough people coming. We can get enough money. We can build what we want. We can do what we want. And Jesus not have anything to do with it. And that's what's happening in a lot of churches today. When a church is filled with a crowd full of people who are obviously opposed to everything Scripture says about morality and righteousness and truth and holiness and they live totally contrary to what Scripture says is obviously the Christ-like. And they let all the world stuff come in and they look more like the world than they do the kingdom and Jesus. And that church is popular. That don't mean that church is blessed in the eyes of Jesus. And friends, listen what he says right there. He says, I counsel you to buy what only I can give you. He says, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. You see, what God says is wealth ain't always what we think is wealth. What's riches in the eyes of God may be a hindrance. <laughs> I mean, what's riches to us may be a hindrance to God. And look at what he says. He says, buy gar if you want to be rich and wealthy, buy the gold that comes from me, the things that I say are, are wealth. He says, clothe yourself with the white garments that I want to give to you, that, that your nakedness may not be revealed. And then look at what he says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. They couldn't even see what was going on. How did that happen? Because they were stuck in the middle. You know how you get stuck in the middle as a child of God, as a church, as a family? You don't look in this book every day. You don't listen to the voice of your shepherd, God, Jesus. You're not wanting him to speak into this church. You just want to do what you've always done and do it the way you've always done it without really even praying and hearing from him. Just because we've all, and I'm not saying what you're doing is bad, but if it ain't what God wants you to do, it's wrong. And friends, you know what we do? We're in the middle. And there's the world over there. It's cold and dark and wicked and hopelessly without God. So we look over there at God. That's cold. And we look over there at the world and we say, oh, man, I ain't getting over there. So then we look over here at God. And may I tell you that our God is a consuming fire. That his holiness burns up everything that is not of his desire to be in you when you get close to him. 
In fact, he's so holy when Moses stepped up to that burning bush, he said, take them shoes off your feet, Moses, because the filth of where you've been walking is on them, and you standing in holy ground, you come up here barefooted. You get rid of anything in your life that defiles you. Take them dirty shoes and sandals off. You are in the presence of holy God. And so we look over here at God, and God ain't went nowhere, my friend, and he never will. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will never change. Jesus, my friend, is the king. His throne does not move. His holiness does not change. His righteousness is not debatable. He is God. He will forever be God. He is the beginning and the Alpha and Omega and the end. And everything in the middle is God's. And we're in the middle. Playing Mr. Lukewarm, child of God. Well, I ain't like them. Them sorry, backslidden, progressive liberals. <laughs> God's going to get them one day. Oh, look what they're doing. But I can tell you what, we ain't either. We ain't holy and righteous. And we ain't hot for God no more. Our hearts are just as wicked and lukewarm and not on fire. We look just good enough to get by. I said, Lord, if I can't have a hot heart, I don't want to live no more. I'm tired of lukewarm Christianity. I'm tired of church as usual. You see, that's what happens to the people who end up lukewarm. They just settle for the status quo. They settle for what everybody else is doing instead of what God says we ought to be doing. They settle for what everybody else is experiencing Instead of what God says we're experiencing. And friends, God says that hell won't even prevail against my church. The Bible says this, not Brother Marvin, and I find it to be a great truth. But the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 4. Now thanks be to God who always, not sometimes, not most of the time, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. If you follow in Jesus, you're not going to get defeated. You're not going to be discouraged. You're going to have struggles, but you'll overcome them if you're right with God and you got a heart for God and God's in your heart. And the most important thing is, Lord, I don't want to fail you. And when I do fail you, Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me, but I don't want you to make an excuse. I want you to change me. I want to repent. Lord, I want to honor you. I don't want to just have lukewarm, comfortable, placating you. I want to honor you. And friends, he says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. When we're walking in victory, when we're overcoming the world, when we're conquering the devil and doing what God put us here to do because we're rightly connected to him, yeah, we're going to fail. But even our failures, he's going to work out for good if we love him and are called according to his purpose and he's going to continually raise us back up. Friends, I'm going to tell you what, you know what an overcomer is? He's a person that's been knocked down a bunch of times but he's gotten up more times than he's been knocked down in the name of Jesus because of the grace of God. He's a person that his life doesn't reflect sin, although there's sin in it. 
because we all sin. But when you look at him, because he keeps following Jesus, he's got a hot heart for God. He gets knocked down every now and then. He says, devil, you won the fight, but you ain't going to win the battle. I'm following Jesus. I got a heart for God. I ain't going to be lukewarm. I ain't one of them backslidden, pantywaist, go churches. Go hear your sermon, preacher. Preach you a sermonette. Friends, I'm here to tell you, my friend, the church is lukewarm. You can say what you want. And it doesn't matter what I say about it. What matters is what does Jesus tonight say about it. When he looks at a church who won't even share the gospel, a church that doesn't even care about lost people and helpless people who are hurting, who, who ain't got nowhere else to hurt. If the church don't help them, who is? The government only helps them when it can help them. The church don't help people because by helping them, they help them back. The church helps people because that's what God said we're supposed to do. And Jesus said, help the most hopeless. Help the most helpless of all. And if you do it to them, you did it unto me. But we ain't even wanting to help one another no more. Much less help them. And friends, today the church is lukewarm. We're stuck in the middle. We're comfortable. We ain't like the world. We know just how far you can get over there and still look good enough to be a good, expected little Baptist. But I ain't here to be a respected little Baptist. And you ain't either. And I ain't picking on the Baptist. You ain't here to be a respected Pentecostal. You ain't here to be a respected Methodist. You are here to be a man and a woman of God. Who God is producing character and integrity and Christ-likeness and perseverance and endurance that you can't claim because it didn't come from you. You want to quit all the time. You get knocked down, but he keeps getting you back up. You want to go back where you came from, but he keeps turning you around and saying, I'm going this way. You're going the wrong way. You need to quit sitting in that pew and you need to get up and go out there. That's where the work is. That's where the mission field is. It ain't here. You need to forget about how much money you got and how many people you got and start remembering the Lord that you have. We don't need money to do God's work, although it helps. But if you think you got to have money and people to do and honor God, you have forgot who our God is. Our God is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Friends, if we get low on money, he owns the cattle on every hill. He'll sell a cow, amen? He'll take care of us. If we forget about money, forget about how many people's here and how many people ain't, forget what kind of songs we sang, and forget about all the things that we are focused on besides him, and if we would look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and we would get a hold of who he is and not turn to that world and say, well, I'm safe. I ain't doing what they do. But look to him and say, I'm lukewarm because I ain't doing what he does. I'm way away from where God wants me to be. You see, the world is constantly going away from God. And every time you drift toward the world... You may stay the same distance you've always been to be religiously acceptable. But every time you move a little bit that way, you're getting further and further from God. To where you wake up one day and God says, I wish you was cold. When you was cold, you listened to my counsel. When you was cold, you knew you were miserable. When you was cold, you 
You realize you was naked. You wanted my provision. But today you're happy with your money and your buildings and your budget and your people that like you and agree with you. And you don't even think you need anything from me anymore. What a terrible condition to be. How terrible would that be? Jesus says, I'll spit you out of my mouth. You'll make me vomit. And I look at the church today and how we take the easy approach. I don't know about y'all, but Jesus said there's two roads. And only one is the one he's going down. And the road Jesus is going down, he said, is the narrow road, the difficult road, the road that few go down. But the road that everyone wants to go down, it seems to me, is the wide road, the popular road, the, the easy road, the road where you have the least resistance, the least to have to trust God for. The road that everybody seems to want to go down is the road that is the lukewarm road. Because to get on that narrow road, you better have a hot heart, amen? You better be sold out to God. And I'm here to tell you there's days coming in the near future, my friend. As we wait, our Redeemer is drawing nigh. He's drawing near. And the imminent return of the rapture of our Lord and church is coming. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. You know what's going to happen to lukewarm Christians? They're going to go find another lukewarm church that tells them they're okay in their sin. They're okay in all of their fake relationship with God. And the devil's going to pile them up. But the true church that experiences Jesus' favor, what does the true church look like? The true church does not compromise and make deals with the world and the devil to appease the flesh. Did you hear what I said? The true church does not compromise with the world and the devil and appease the uncarnal, unredeemed flesh to make peace. Friends, all these churches that are going against the word of God are making themselves acceptable to the world's ways and are bringing in all these worldly, ungodly people they ain't overcoming the world. You know how they overcome sin? They just say it's okay now. They're not trying to overcome sexual immorality. They've just lowered the standard. They don't try to become a godly, Christ-honoring couple, married in holy matrimony, living a life under the lordship of Christ, raising a family according to the word of God. They just redefine what a marriage is. And the church accepts it. A church accepts it, not the church. Friends, you see, why would God tell us something like this? Because he wants fellowship. He wants communion. Now, I want to ask you something. How many of y'all would like to have Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and Joe Biden over for next Sunday dinner to sit at your table and hang out with all Sunday evening for intimate fellowship and communion how many if you'll vote for them right now they're desperate they probably will come some of us would sit down with the devil to get what we want but I don't know about you but at my house 
who we break bread with and who we eat with and who we invite to our table is an important thing to us. We look at our home as a gift from God, a sanctuary from God, a refuge from God, a place where when we get there, that's where we are. We gave that house to God. Jesus is the head of that home. He's over that house. We don't want things in there that dishonor God. We don't want people in there. We love them. We'd let you come. But if you come, we ain't going to feed you dinner. We're going to tell you the gospel. You see, what Jesus is trying to tell us this for is he wants intimate relationship like when you sit at a table together. Man, during the revival, as awesome as what happened here was, wasn't it awesome at what happened at our house? How we as the staff got to hang out and hang out with other ministers and sit at the table and eat and encourage one another. Some of y'all got to come. We wish we could have invited everybody. We got a plan for the youth that's going to come over on the 29th, the night before the fall fest. We're going to have a bonfire, and we're going to sit around the bonfire. I'm going to cook a big pot of chili. We're going to let them burn weenies and make hot dogs. We're going to hang out because, guys, I'm going to tell you what. Communion is important. Fellowship is important to being spiritually healthy with one another, but it's also spiritually healthy in being connected with Jesus. See, Jesus says, I'm telling you all this because I want you to come home. I want you to come back. I want your heart to be hot. I want your heart to be on fire for me because that's the only kind of heart that will let me in. A cold heart don't want Jesus. If they do, they get saved. But a lukewarm that's comfortable with things the way it's been going without Jesus, the last thing they want is Jesus to come show up and mess up their plans. And that's where a lot of our churches are. So they want to keep doing things the way they're doing it. They don't want Jesus to be Lord. They don't want to give him headship. They don't want to have him preeminently over them. So they leave him out. But the amazing thing about Jesus, when we do that to him, he says, you make me sick. You nauseate me. I can't stand it when you act that way, when you live in a spiritual condition of lukewarmness. But I'm still knocking. Do you hear him knocking this morning? Hello? Who's at the door? Jesus. What do you want, Jesus? I want to come in. I want to come sit at your table and dine with you and eat with you. But I ain't coming till you repent, till you get right. I love you. I died for you. You're my church. But you need to be hot. You need to repent. Why does he want us to repent? Because lukewarm Christians are defeated Christians. Lukewarm Christians don't overcome sin. Lukewarm Christians aren't conquerors in Christ. And they don't walk triumphantly. And it's our triumph in Christ. It's our overcoming the world in Christ that diffuses what God wants to come out of us. He's tired of the world smelling us and we stink. Like sin. We shriek of defeat. He's looking for people who have a heart so committed that he can come into that heart and give them grace to overcome. Because look at what he says. He says right there, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door, I'll come into you and I'll dine with you and you with me. Oh, can you imagine sitting at the table with Jesus? And he says, and to him who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne. 
as I also overcame. If you got an a, a, a NIV, it says, and he who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He said, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what I'm trying to say to you. I got a lot more for you than lukewarm stuck in the middle Christianity. I got a whole life you haven't experienced because I'll put a fire in you that the world can't put out. I'll put a light in you that the devil can't steal. I'll put something in you that religion and Baptist church can't manufacture. I'll put you on fire for me, son, if you want me to. I'll sit at the table with you and encourage you, counsel you. I'll be with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm your God. I'm your Jesus. You're my church. Friends, you know what the Bible says about overcoming? Listen to this. If you was to flip with me over here, it's just a book back. If you want to turn with me, 1 John. Actually, it's three books back, but they little books. In 1 John chapter 5, the Bible said, Whoever believes that Jesus, verse 1, chapter 5, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, that's the Savior, the Messiah, is born of God. And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him who is begotten. And then down in verse 4, it says, For whatever is born of God, whoever believes that Jesus the Christ is born of God. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith in church, our faith in men, no, our faith in him, Jesus Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is God, the Messiah. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but we got a lot of people in our church that has gifted abilities, natural talents that could make such a difference for God and his church and his kingdom. We got people all over in the body of Christ that have all these abilities and, you know, not to mention we have spiritual gifts, spiritual enablements to give us spiritual aid to do work and service for God. Not to mention that we each have a call and a ministry purpose on our life that is specifically given to us, that God enables us and equips us to do. In fact, the Bible says that we have access through our inheritance to every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We got all of that. With all of that potential, with all of that ability, though, if you don't have a hot heart, a heart that is burdened and desirable to give God your best, it'll all get wasted. You'll sit in the pew comfortable in the middle and waste your one life to serve God, play in church lukewarm. Anybody know who Tom Landry is and was? Because he still is. He's a Christian. We're going to get to see him in heaven one day. I've been reading about him. You may not know this, but I hated the Dallas Cowboys. I did not think they was America's team. But I like Tom Landry, especially now that I'm a Christian. He was not just a talk about it Christian. He was a walk about it Christian. He was a real Christian. He got saved when he was in college. You can read his testimony in some of his books. And he was a man that was known for his integrity and his character. And he was also known as one of the winningest coaches in the history of the NFL. He's still, and he's been out of it for a while, the third winningest coach to ever coach in the NFL. So he knows about overcoming. 
He knows about victory. He knows, my friend, about triumph. And his players called him the cat in the hat, which he didn't like. Because he always wore that old-time style hat. He wore a suit. But he says something that I read in his book, and it makes so much sense. And he said when it comes to building a roster, a team that can compete, that can consistently win, that will overcome, that will triumph in the end and win. He said, I'm not looking for the most gifted players with the greatest ability, with the most natural talent. Although they are a great blessing, he said, but a man with an unbelievable amount of ability, but he has no character, he lacks integrity, he doesn't know the meaning of commitment, he doesn't and will not give you 110%, will ultimately in the end not perform as well and accomplish as much as the average, common, NFL-ready player who play for, G, play for me and play for that team and loves football with all his heart, he'll consistently, in the end, outperform the one with all the talent because heart, in the end, is the most important thing to winning. You know what's wrong with the church today? We got lukewarm hearts. We don't give God 110% no more. We give God the leftovers. If you don't believe me, there's more Christians today probably at Little League and campouts and whatever else. And there's nothing wrong with missing every now and then. But when you choose that as a weekly, regularly event over church, how are you going to win people? How are you going to win for God? I don't know about y'all. But I made church priority long before I got called to preach. Right after God saved me, I was Catholic. Them Catholics only got to go once a month, week. They only got to go to Mass on Sunday. And they made it to be convenient where you can go on Saturday night and get it over with. And I had a grandma. We're going to go to Saturday and get it over with. For it won't disrupt tomorrow. <laughs> if you're going to church to get it over with, stay home. Go fishing. <laughs> Go find something else to do that you'll like. Because you don't come to church to get it over with. When we got saved, me and her, we never went to church. But we started going, and we met Jesus. And Jesus came into our life. It didn't take long for one day. I said, don't they have church on Sunday night? Yeah. Don't they have church on Wednesday night? Yeah. You see, church is not something you go to. Church is something you become. This is where we come to church. But this is not Bethany Church. This is where we gather. But this is not who we are, all of this stuff. Who we are is the deeds, the works that Jesus watches, not just on Sunday at 11 to Brother Marvin winds down, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. It's not only what you do when the preacher's watching you, but when you, 
at home and nobody's watching you. It's not only what you do that gets recognized by the church folk and everybody knows that he does this and he's on this and he's over that and he has this title. Being the church is what you do when you're going down the road and you see a need. And the Holy Spirit says, help that person. Being the church is what you do when you know you got a lost neighbor and you pray for him every day. and You use every opportunity to help him some and know Jesus. You see, being the church is much more than coming here on Sunday, folks. If all you do is come here on Sunday, that's lukewarm Christianity. A hot church is a church every day of the week. Amen? Now, we all know this is true, and you can get mad at me and say he's preaching all this hard stuff. Talk to Jesus. He wrote the letter. Amen? John copied it down. I'm just reading it to you this morning and doing a little explaining. But I'm here to tell you God's looking for a church to overcome this world so that he can use us for his glory. And he will give you the ability to overcome if you trust him. As long as you stay comfortable, you'll stay defeated. But, Lord, wherever you lead me, I'll go. This morning we're going to sing a song. I'm going to say a prayer. Brother Jonathan's going to get up here just by yourself, Jonathan, this morning, nobody else, and just sing something on the guitar or whatever. Maybe I have decided to follow Jesus would be a good one if you can do that. But I'm inviting you today to get out of the ditch. (laughs) Are you tired of being stuck in the middle? Or you're tired of looking over at the world and saying, this ain't like that. But then know in your heart of hearts when you look over here at God, you ain't like that either. God didn't die on the cross to leave you comfortable, religious in the middle. He died so you can be holy and righteous and true and just. That he can fill you with his Holy Spirit. That we can go in victory and be his witness. Friends, the world is dying for lack of an on-fire church with hot hearts. That said, I'm not just going to go through business as usual. I'm, not, I'm through with status quo. I want God. Friends, this is your invitation. Jesus is knocking. You could go home and have lunch with Jesus if that's what he's telling you to do. I'm inviting you to come to Jesus today. Lay it down at Jesus' feet and say, Lord, I come to be real. Maybe you're right with God. You might be hot. Grass praise. Good for that. Maybe you're cold. You said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm lost. Get saved. You see, God died for you. If you're saved, I've lost, and you're over in darkness, and you know you're not a long way from God, God will come to you today and save you if you'll make the first effort and trust him. I'm going to invite you to come forward. I'd love to lead you to Christ and let Christ come into your life. Because I promise you, when he comes into your life, you'll never be the same again if you follow him. Let's stand. Father in heaven, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your counsel in our life that is true, that shows us what we need to hear instead of what we'd like to hear, that doesn't tickle our ears, but it breaks our hearts so that you can fix our hearts and make them hot for you. Lord, I confess I've been lukewarm more times than I wish to admit. But I thank you that you keep, Lord, turning up the fire, bringing us to that place. And, Lord, I pray that you'll show up here today in this church house and touch the hearts of your